So it's uh, Ezekiel chapter 16 from verse 59 uh, through to the end of that chapter. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will deal with you as you deserve, because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant. Yet, I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters with those who are older than you and those who are younger. I will give them to your daughters, but not on the basis of my covenant with you. So I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Then, when I make atonement for you, for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the Sovereign Lord. May God bless us as we consider this passage today. Death. So, there's, there's sin, there's your punishment. What do you, what do you think about this, these dogs and, and this program? I, I'm fascinated by it, and, and there's lots of, of clips you can find if you look on YouTube later on uh, of different places, different uh, institutions that are using this uh, as a way of, of working with the, the inmates. And did you see the, uh, the percentage? It wasn't 100%, but significant drop from people feeling a, a sense of, of trust and love, of self-worth from working with these animals. We maybe think of prisons and so on, and uh, uh, this is what's called uh, retributive, retributive justice. But uh, I want to read a, a little quote that I read. It says, uh, retributive justice, that means you do something wrong, there is a penalty. That's it. Studies show that threat and punishment are the least effective forms of social change or long-lasting improvement. Yes, they are efficient, but not effective at all. I guess we can debate uh, this um, all afternoon, and maybe that's what you want to do on, on the picnic. But uh, the, uh, this idea that... Um, the wages of sin is death. There, there is a, a, a cause and there is a, an effect. We, we get what we deserve. Is that a term of phrase that is used that maybe some of you have heard? You, you get what you deserve. But I'm wondering if there is something else. Something that um, maybe we've ascribed from, from Scripture, one thing, but actually in Scripture there's something else as well. We live with consequences. I know uh, I keep referring to driving uh, things, and um, uh, I will admit to you that uh, I'm probably that annoying person at the front of the queue of traffic that is driving at the speed limit uh, when everyone else wants to kind of push along a little bit. Uh, I'm also that annoying person in conversation who um, 
when uh, people start talking or complaining about uh, speed cameras or, or whatever, um, uh, I have no sympathy for people. Uh, I, I realize that uh, inadvertently maybe that's the reason why you were going a bit faster than the speed limit and that's when you got caught. Um, but I, uh, whether it's colleagues or other friends, uh, I have little sympathy for people. The, the speed limit is the same before and after the camera as it is at the camera. So you don't need to worry about a speed camera if you stick to the speed limit. But uh, maybe that's just me being a little bit pedantic. But we, we work and live with consequences. If we go over the speed limit, we might get a speeding ticket. Cause and effect. The naughty step, or whatever it is that uh, people use with younger kids, uh, is a way of, of us realizing that uh, there is a consequence to something that I do that is wrong. This um, idea of uh, the wages of sin is death. That this sin leads to a punishment. Is that where it stops? Sin leads to punishment, which in my understanding of maybe the way that we've been uh, taught in the past, sin leads to punishment. Punishment leads to Repentance, repentance leads to transformation. Is that a reasonable assessment? Sin leads to punishment, punishment leads to repentance, repentance leads to transformation. But I want to suggest to you a different way, a different biblical way that sin, while it does lead to consequences, and maybe that's what we think of as punishment, but sin is the opportunity of God to convey and express his unconditional love for us. So maybe we shouldn't be so quick of saying sin leads to punishment, leads to repentance, leads to transformation. I'd like to suggest to you that sin leads to God's expression of unconditional love, which is portrayed in God's action of transformation in us, and it's only then that we experience this full repentance. I know that seems a little bit jumbled up, but I believe that this is what the Bible talks about. Maybe we, we're too ready and, and too familiar with things that are there in Scripture, but we use as a, as a, a sort of hammer against people. You, you've got to do right, and, and that is right. That, that's the way that God has said that this is the way that is going to be best for you. But the wages of sin is death. You don't do what is right, and, and then there's a punishment. But it's more than that. Sin leads to the expression of God's unconditional love. And I'm not saying that we should go out and sin just to experience God's unconditional love. God expresses that in other ways too. But if we just say sin, and what, what is sin? I know I keep asking this question. I want to make sure that you've got it. What is sin? 
when we think or say that we know better than God. That, that's the sin back in the Garden of Eden and, and sin all the way through. It's where God gives us a direction and we say, well, we think we know better than God. We want to do it our way, however that plays itself out. So if sin is us saying we know better than God, there is a consequence to sin, yes, but also there is an opportunity of God's expression of his unconditional love. God isn't just there to mete out this discipline. You do what's wrong, and this is what I'm going to do. You do what's wrong, and God jumps in. God is waiting for this opportunity for us to recognize, oops, we've, we've made a mistake. And then God can lurch into the situation and say, but I love you anyway. How can I help? Sin leads to unconditional love, which leads to God transforming in us. And it's only at that point that we can then say, ah, I get it. I get that I am forgiven. I realize that in saying sorry, I am saying, I don't want to pursue my own actions anymore. Repentance is saying, I want more of God more than me. We read from uh, Ezekiel in our scripture reading. And I'm not going to chew over that, but that's at the end of, of one chapter, chapter 16, uh, where God talks with, with Ezekiel. And you're going to have to kind of let me pray a couple of chapters. And, and by all means, go back and read these chapters. Don't believe it just because a preacher says it. Uh, but Ezekiel chapter 16, God likens the, the followers, his followers, to these um, whoring ladies, the, the, the sisters that, that go chasing after other men, so to speak, that, that go chasing after other things, other than committing that themselves continually to God. But then God says, despite them going after their own thing, despite their, their sin, this is what I am going to do. You see, that older model where sin leads to punishment, which leads to repentance, which leads to transformation, this is all an emphasis about the person, about the sinner. I need to get myself right. I receive this, this uh, punishment, and then and through my repentance, I need to work at it. I need to transform myself. But actually, when sin leads to unconditional love, this is all a focus about God and what he can and will do, wants to do, in and through us. Yes, there is a submission, but the focus isn't about, I've got to work my way, then I will be accepted. The whole point is, God accepts us. God jumps in and says, I love you anyway. I love you so much that I forgive you. I love you so much that I want to work with you in your life that I can transform you. And at that point, we realize, ah, this is all about God in my life, not me having to work it out, and then maybe God will accept me. That, that's, that's a deception, an old age deception, that we've got to work our way, our way through things, that we've got to work out the, 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 the best way of 
making it so that God may be just about will accept us. Ezekiel says in chapter 16, using this analogy that God gives him of, of these whoring ladies, that God says, but this is what I want to do. Here's this introduction to this idea that sin leads to the expression of God's unconditional love. Staying in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, God likens people, certainly the the spiritual leaders, to these self-serving shepherds. And again, even in that chapter, there's a part where God's saying, despite you pursuing your own ways, this is what I want to do for you and in you and through you. And then maybe there's a, a chapter that you know a song about, in Ezekiel chapter 37, about uh, dry bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. And, and this is God saying to Ezekiel, trying to show him again and showing us that the, these dry bones was a, a reference to the people that say that they are God followers, the, the people of Israel at that time. But that includes us now, that they're, they're just dry bones. Is it the bones that pick themselves up and put themselves together? Is it the bones that suddenly there's tendons and flesh and muscle and skin on them? Is it the bones that that make the breath come into them? No, this this whole chapter is about this is what I will do for the people that are sinners that have walked away from me, that, that, that have just said, I want to pursue my own ends. But despite that, God says to Ezekiel, look, let me show you an illustration about dry bones. And the illustration is there because God is saying, I want to show you how I react to people when they've done something wrong. I want to help you. I want to be part of your life. We get a bit of an explanation as to how it is that God wants to to help us. If we actually look at the chapter before the dry bones one, so Ezekiel chapter 36. And again, there is this uh, reference pointing out the the problems that that spiritual Israel, uh, uh, the people of Israel, have been uh, pursuing their own ends. But then in, in Ezekiel chapter 36, from verse 24, It says, for I will take you out of the nations. Because before that, it says, they've, they've dispersed, they've been scattered and so on. I will take you, this is God talking, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from, from, uh, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit 
in you. This is all about God and his actions. Despite the things that we do that distance ourselves from God. Here in Ezekiel, God's saying, okay, I know people have gone away, but if they'd only let me, this is what I want to do. God isn't out after us to catch us out. God's after us to love us unconditionally. And that unconditional love means that God says, I want to show you how unconditional it is because I want to transform you. I'm going to do this in your life. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to work at it to a point where, okay, maybe then I'll love you. God is saying, I love you anyway. And I want to do this in and through your life. You see, the other way, the older way of thinking sin and punishment leading to repentance and transformation, it doesn't always work that way. You you don't always get that end result that you want. The child that's been caught out, they've done something wrong, they miss out on something, they go to a naughty corner, stand in the corner, naughty step, whatever it is that that people use and, and so on nowadays. And then the parent comes along, have you ever heard of this? Have you ever seen it in other people? And, and a parent says to the child, uh, well, you better say sorry. Now you, now you need to say sorry, don't you? And what does the child do? The child says, no. The parent says, well, you should say sorry. The child says, no. Well, why, why won't you say sorry? And the child says, because I'm not sorry. You see, sin and wrongdoing might lead to discipline, might, might lead to, um, uh, to our punishment. But even that, does it provoke, does it provide for that repentance? Not necessarily. I know that kids are like that. I know that I was like that. Defiant. No, I'm not sorry for what I did. So you're going to stand there for a little bit longer and you can't come out of the corner until you're sorry. Then you realize and work out, well, if I say sorry, then I can come out of the corner even if I'm not. But this other way, this biblical way, when we do wrong, God is ready to jump in at us and say, I love you anyway. How can I work this out for you? How can I make things better for you? I'm not here to catch you out. I'm here to love you. So, Ezekiel 36, it says, from a little bit before what we were reading in verse 17 um, and onwards, it says, uh, God is saying, well, I don't want people, because of the punishment, because there is consequence, I don't want people to think that I am a God of, of punishment and consequence. I want people to think of me as a God that is set apart, that is holy. So how is it that that God shows his holiness? How is it that God shows his unconditional love? Well, we just read it. That he is going to gather. He is going to cleanse. He is going to give us a new heart and a new spirit. This this was around about 600 years um, BC. And 300 years before that, I read that, that King David got this principle. 
that, that God isn't this retributive kind of God always trying to catch us out. He knows that we're going to make mistakes, but he's always there and available to us. So that's why when David was, uh, had pointed out to him, look, you've been a naughty boy, and David writes the song that includes in the psalm, uh, i just give you the, uh, the reference, uh, Psalm 51, where he starts by saying, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And David was saying, I realize I can't do anything about this. I need you to do it in me. And then David goes on. Maybe again you've heard these words in a song. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. What was it that God said in Ezekiel 300 years later? I will create in you a new heart. I will give you a good spirit. In fact, God goes on to say, I will put my spirit in you. We can't do that of ourselves. We just have to rely on God's unconditional love. So when we distract ourselves by, what can I do to make things right? You can't do anything other than just say, I accept what you're going to do in me, Lord. David understood that around about 900 BC. Ezekiel had it revealed to him around 300 BC. And then Jesus, recorded in John chapter 13, was trying to teach these people, his followers, what this unconditional love is all about. And he says, a new command I give you. And it isn't actually a new command because we find that uh, uh, in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, we have very similar words. So more like a renewed, but it was new in their way of thinking because they were thinking, I do wrong, I get punished, and then I need to work it out. And God, Jesus was saying, look, this is wrong. I'm trying to tell you. For centuries I've been trying to tell you. When you do wrong, I want to love you unconditionally and I will make the change in you. You just need to let me. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You love people not because they deserve it, but because you love them. Because that's the way that God loves us. We don't deserve anything. We are undeserving. We just need to be available to God for him to be able to do that through us. It all comes down to a point of forgiveness. And I read this quote that uh, I'm going to have to make into a little screensaver or something. Um, maybe put it up on a notice board here. But forgiveness is to let go of our hope for a different or better past. Forgiveness is to let go of our hope 
for a different or better past. And that's the kind of forgiveness that God has for us. That's the kind of unconditional love. We've made a mistake. God can't hope that that's going to be different. We've done it. So what's God going to do about it? He wants to love us back into relationship with him. That he will put in us the things that we need in order to be transformed. Nothing will happen in our lives without our submission to God's forgiveness. It's time to disqualify self from the rewards of God. You haven't done anything to deserve unconditional love of God. He loves you anyway. He always did. He always will. Our sin is a chance for God to display his unconditional love, which affects the transformation in us, which provokes our repentance, our desire to pursue God rather than self. It's saying, repentance is saying, I've had enough of me trying to work it out. At long last, I'm going to listen to you. I want to give my life to you, God. God doesn't love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. So we need to disqualify ourselves and allow someone more qualified to come into our lives, to change our lives, to make a difference. If you want to know more about this principle, if you think, oh, is Nathan really talking about a biblical way, then read those chapters in, in Ezekiel. Read the first three chapters of a little book. If you haven't got it, there's a whole stack of them out in the foyer there. A book called Steps to Christ. And there, the author works out this whole sequence of unconditional love. Our sin is an opportunity for God to show his unconditional love, for him to transform us that provokes our opportunity of repentance. We need to disqualify ourselves to allow God who is more qualified to do the work in our lives. If we do that, we will realize that it is less punishing.